What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest is a marketing and talent innovator. She's worked with countless hotels to build a connection between them and the surrounding community. She's the founder of Syra Hospitality. Ladies and gentlemen, Harsha Lakwa. Welcome, Harsha. Thank you. That was beautiful. Well, thank you. It's my, my wife always <laughs> says I have a great voice for radio. Totally. Or a great so face for radio. Soothing. No voice, voice. Great <laughs> voice. <laughs> How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm so glad you're joining us from Mexico and your your new adventure and journey down there. So I'm sure we'll hear about that um, as we start talking. But one of the things that I'm most curious about with you, because this show is all about defining hospitality. And for me, I'm just very curious about people. I love, I'm always learning so much from everyone. But mm. with respect to Syra and yeah the education that you are doing as far as how does it quench the curiosity of your clients, but also your students and walk us through a little bit about what you're, what you're doing at Syrah. So what are we doing at Syrah? Yeah. Okay. So we are, so we're a nonprofit and for the last six years, we've been partnering with luxury and lifestyle hotels everywhere from Mexico where we started or mm-hmm. well, we started in downtown LA as a pilot um, Mexico was our first school um, with bunk house and then we moved to Costa Palmas uh, 2017 um, Namibia British Virgin Islands but we partner with these brands the brands including Rosewood and Four Seasons and Virgin etc um, to create what we've been doing in the past is pop up hospitality schools for local communities and anywhere we've done schools anywhere from two weeks I would say to nine weeks Um, and we're really understanding first from the hotels what's their opening date how many people do they want to hire and what are the positions they're looking to fill because we focus on entry-level positions and then we kind of work backwards from there and go into these local communities and really operate on a very grassroots level um, with kind of a street canvassing approach and spread the word about what we're doing and this program that's given to them free of charge sponsored by this hotel partner. And then we take interested students through four rounds of interviews over two months and then we accept them into what's now most often an eight week program. And they're taught everything from the very basics of um, what is hospitality, which is convenient for this conversation. Um, what is hospitality? What is the industry? Who are they as themselves? What's a career path look like? That's really early on week one. We take them through emotional intelligence, cultural intelligence, really what we believe the skills and knowledge that hotel operators are looking for when they hire these people. Um, 
and then take them through fine dining experiences because we want them to understand what it's like on the side of the guest. There's a conception amongst the communities that they aren't allowed in this hotel because the first thing we do as hotel, or I shouldn't say we, but as hotel developers, as an industry, is you put up a wall, which is really fascinating. And I started to think about this more recently. Um, you buy a piece of land, you put up a wall, right? You wanna have your boundaries, but what does that say to the community as soon as you do that. And I've been thinking more and more about that. But anyway, we tell them that it's okay to sit down. For example, in the pilot for the uh, downtown LA, we sat the students in the lobby of the Ace Hotel right around the corner um, from a place called Home, which was the nonprofit. And they understand what a hotel looks and feels like. And then we do a back of house and front of house tour and everything. But that's something that a lot of people in these local communities don't think that they're allowed to do, which is which is strange. I, um, I love what you're saying on a couple different levels, but one, you're making me, you're reminding me of a story of a friend of mine was working on a project. It was a luxury hotel in Dhaka, mm -hmm. Bangladesh. Okay. And in the pre-opening, all of the, the hotel teams were in there. And in the men, he went into the men's lobby restroom and went to the urinal and yeah. there were cigarette um, ashtrays above each urinal. Huh. But the people who were doing the pre-opening put soap dishes in there or put, put soap in, in the ashtrays. In the ashtrays? Yes, because the people that they recruited that were from around there had never been into a luxurious bathroom. Right. right? They right, saw right. this dish there. They didn't know it was, an, it was a cigarette, an ashtray. They thought it was yeah. a soap dish. So yeah. what I've yeah. learned is, and especially going to all these factories and just all over the world and seeing, you know, oftentimes you know, the people who are making the things that we all use and, you know, you want everything to be perfectly straight and just joined up so perfectly. Yeah. But if you think about where so many of these people are coming, oftentimes it's their first job um, mm -hmm. and they, they might live in a place where they've never seen a straight line before. Right. Right. So right. it's interesting, like really starting from ground, ground zero of, yeah. Hey, welcome. Yeah. And this is a whole different thing because what I've seen is oftentimes hotels will also come into a, a, a community like mm -hmm. a, a spaceship landing mm -hmm. and there's no it's like a bubble it's hermetically yeah. sealed and there's no interaction yep. so I, I'm very fascinated leaves, by this it leaves all this yeah and I'm also fascinated because I've never been into a luxury men's urinal do you guys pee and then have a little cigarette at the same time maybe in the maybe in the 80s <laughs> or early 90s I, I feel like not very many people are smoking they anymore they should you know it reminds me in india we go to this like equivalent of like a country club and the women's bathroom has like couches and like red velvet and i'm like this anyway we're going off track well i can go on with this because i was just in uh alexa and i were just in croatia with some friends and everyone is so tall there especially the men and i'm i'm over six feet tall but the there's six, five, six, six. And all wow. of the urinals were mounted very high <laughs> on all the walls. It was very unusual, even for me as a tall person. I can't imagine being like a five foot seven male going into some of these. <laughs> I'm going to take Michelangelo there just for fun. <laughs> just shits <laughs> and giggles, literally. Um, <laughs> anyway, well, I forgot what we were talking about. Well, I guess. So, okay. So in the, so in the sense of how you're teaching everyone and integrating between community mm. and hotel and pulling down walls yes. and you're teaching yes. hospitality to some people, everyone gives and receives hospitality in their life in some way, no matter where you are in stature, socioeconomically, anywhere. 
There's yes. the ability, like it's a universal thing of making others feel comfortable. So how do you define hospitality? Yeah. And I think it's interesting what you just said, right? Cause it's, it is a, it isn't, it isn't a universal thing to make people feel comfortable. And we talk about what we're calling hospitality gene a lot. And we teach that in week two, and it's all about the, the hospitality gene is more of a mentality that we believe people have that's based on empathy and the ability to understand not only the needs of other people, but the feelings of other people. And so hospitality itself is very much along those lines. To me, it's not a, it's not the hotel. It's not, unfortunately, the design. To me, it's the feeling. It can be met if you look at the hierarchy of needs and you're like, okay, great. I've got shelter. I've got food. I've got water. I'm good. And, and or they could be met, hopefully, in, in kind of true hospitality to another level where your needs, your, your, your needs are being exceeded, needs that you didn't even know that needed to be met are being met. But the, but the beauty of that in terms of hospitality is that once those those needs to whatever level, and I think that really goes along the spectrum of luxury to kind of entry level hotels. Um, but once they're met, that leaves the space for the guest to then be able to feel, to come back to who they are as people, right? Because all of that stuff is being done. You don't have to make your bed. You don't have to worry about coffee. That's all been taken care of for you to allow you to have that space kind of within yourself to listen to yourself, to others, but also to be inspired again and be creative. But sometimes we get so, so um, absorbed by all the mundane needs that we have. So hospitality to me is, is when someone can create that space, when someone has the hospitality gene and the desire to serve other people and they are able to give that guest that feeling of it's not to me it's not just about feeling at home it's the comfort level of home but it's it's exceeding what you get at home so that you can actually have a minute to think and to breathe and so in your life because you're you're impacting so many people from hotel owners to the people working in the hotels at, at an entry level and teaching them a skill a vocation developing a career path for them and you're so passionate about it. I get it just from knowing you outside of this and just in life. Um, where in your life did you develop this passion? Like, how did you find this calling? <laughs> calling. Um, wait, before we do that, I have to just tell you this quick anecdote of hospitality because that was mm -hmm. recently, you might know Kevin Osterhaus. No, I've heard of him. I don't, I've never met him such a lovely guy and he's become on our advisory board um he was with ns more for a while and he's he took a he took a minute out and so he hosted us at this first cyber retreat that we had outside of london kind of near the soho farmhouse and anyway we stayed with him for two days which in itself is like we couldn't afford in the pandemic the hotels right now and the prices because we're looking at like 800 pounds in the countryside of the UK, which is ridiculous. So I said, Kevin said, do you want to stay? And I said, okay. So we stayed at his house and I don't, I don't know if I've told you this, but so anyway, we're beautiful, traditional countryside feeling, amazing 
like house um duplex level and I'm upstairs and I'm in my bedroom and I come downstairs to get coffee and it's like oh I come down the stairs and the kettle had just gone off and I was like ah cool perfect timing and I was like and Kevin goes no Harsha that's not perfect timing what that is is I heard you get out of bed because the floors are all creaky I heard you get out of bed walk downstairs reboiled the kettle because it was already boiled for you but reboiled it so that the timing would be great so that you and it was not a oat milk latte it was a, a big cup of coffee but that kind of blew me away in terms of hospitality because what we were doing that day was yes we were indulging in food and great wine and on conversation but we were also that was a day of work and ideation and you know moving away from kind of the exploring part of the retreat to the understanding part of the retreat and I don't know that was just a very simple experience to me of what hospitality feels like because the thought okay. process of so that was mind-blowing that is super exciting and I have goosebumps right now because one of the elusive things that I can't figure out and I've experienced it it's this idea of anticipation mm. without pestering totally but it's anticipation and how do you teach that yeah yeah totally it is and, and I have one other story for you but that one of the things that when I worked at Six Senses, one of the reasons that I still hold that brand so highly in terms of everything they do, but especially they taught me what service was about when they would turn the buggy around. And it was a really simple thing to do, but I'd be in the villa and I'd like drive the buggy like a crazy person running to do something like kind of just like in the middle of the road. And when I came out, it was like fueled or however electric they fueled it. And it was in its place and no one knocked on the door. Like they do so often and be like, hi, just checking if everything's okay. It's like, yes, everything's okay. Stop banging on the door. But this was like the way they do that. Cause and like you said, it's all anticipation. It's like, oh, you know what? She's going to need to leave in this direction and she probably doesn't want to turn the car around it's probably low on battery so i'm just going to do that for her they were trying I'm to prevent you from being like that... austin powers when he was backing <laughs> up and back and forth in that corridor <laughs> which is what which is what i did a lot in that resort they probably were doing it for their own safety but i i think you know that's so so anticipation how do you anticipate the guest needs how do you have a sense of urgency what's attention to detail this is stuff that we focus on and it's really hard to teach. Um, but it can be taught that unlike the hospitality gene, I think can be taught. And it's just, it's just explaining things to people in their own way. And I use the coffee example because it's, I use simple examples because it, it's what resonates with people. And I think if you haven't been to six senses in Thailand, you might not understand that story, but you will understand what Kevin did and how we anticipated just basic needs. Um, but you can go as, you know, we, we have a lot of examples, a lot of role plays. I mean, that's really the core of Syrah is, is role playing, which essentially is putting yourself in someone else's shoes, which essentially is empathy, which essentially is hospitality. So that's a lot of our curriculum. It's amazing on that tea kettle story because I'm always amazed specifically if I'm flying on Singapore airlines mm. and it doesn't matter if you're in the front of the plane, in the back of the plane, there's mm. this thing that they do. And I don't know how they do it. I'm usually sleeping. It's a long flight. And I, I, I get up, I'm just a little thirsty and there's someone there like with a glass of water. And I don't know how they do it <laughs> unless they have like seat sensors. They sense like a certain movement or 
and they're just they just come but they don't they're not asking me every five <laughs> minutes if I'm thirsty no but they know I mean I think I guess I'm not as blown away by that Singapore is still some of the best hospitality but you know you're on a plane you're dehydrated if you get up you're either peeing or you're getting water so <laughs> you're not fancy enough to go to the <laughs> exactly you're not going to have a cigar in the bathroom <laughs> Monday but yeah no I think I think I think, I mean, Singapore, if you can look at cultures, Singapore, Thailand, Bali, all these places just have it down. It's just in their culture. And the tricky part for us has been going to places where it's not in their culture, like the British Virgin Islands and understanding, taking time and extra time. Normally we need two months before school. Here we needed three because we needed to understand why they had this aversion to hospitality. Mm. And, and what, just, what did you discover in that journey? It's, um, they associated service with servitude. And we didn't know that. And it took a long time to figure that out. Um, because we couldn't understand why it was like the menus thrown at people. And, you know, what, and also, you know, it's, it's just kind of been instilled in the locals of the British Virgin Islands, many different mentalities and you know the idea of the jobs are for them and not for us that was a big one them and us is always a big concept um at Syrah when we're working with local communities but you know that was a mind shift what is service and moving it away from servitude yeah so that's super powerful because if you look at service on one side and servitude to me there's stark differences but how do you start to kind of unpack that and then explain the difference and stay in the service thing without building resentment. Right, without building resentment. I think that's the key because I think it's, it's, there was a lot, of, a lot of pushback. Most of our students in the British Virgin Islands were women and all kinds of women from all different ages. Um, and they just didn't want to serve, no offense, the white male, <laughs> right? They just, they, they had this, and I think it's about respecting that totally, like listening to them, respecting it, understanding where they're coming from, taking that Mandela approach and being like, okay, let's not come in here. We do this with all our schools. We don't come into markets because it's one of the things I can't stand is assuming what they need, how to teach them the New York way of service, like <laughs> none of that. So, so I think that's part of it is just really respecting where they're coming from, but then when the time is right, you introduce to them what service to us is about and what hospitality to us is about. And I shouldn't say us, but to Syrah, I guess, and, and to the brand that's sponsoring the education, because a lot of that brand loyalty starts from very much day one um, of interviews and when they understand the brand. So I think, I think shifting that mindset that takes a lot of time, but also it takes a lot of it takes a lot of um, education through experiences. So they're living on Tortola, Virgin Gorda, but they've never been to Necker Island. They've never been to Mosquito Island. They've never been to Scrub. They've never been to any of our partners. And in a way, you can't really expect them if all they know is mundane cafes where they're not feeling inspired and where people aren't treating them with respect. 
then why would you want to work in hospitality? So this luxury hotel excursions that we do and the fine dining experiences is all part of this kind of PR campaign that we create for the students to be able to get excited about the industry and start to think about where they can, they can also be the GM. I, I fully believe they can also be the GM. Our student here, Alex, was just promoted to F&B supervisor after F&B manager, after cashier, after having never worked in hospitality. So we can be whatever I think they want. My, my opinion right now for all of these entry level positions, whether it's food service, housekeeping, um, whatever, to me, it's, there's never been a better time to get involved in hospitality because the path to management, right. if that's a path you want to choose as a career path, it's right. so short entering from there because we're in such a, a crisis right now where it's so hard to find good people. And then my question to you is, is it really that hard to find good people to have this <laughs> or are people going at it the wrong way as far as <laughs> being innovative and getting them to come, come take a look? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would go with option two, quite obviously. I think I think it's hard for people to change their, their ways. And as, as an industry, it's probably the world's biggest industry. I think it's even harder for the industry to start thinking differently, but they are. And the crisis has forced them to think differently. The crisis has forced them to say, okay, because actually I was talking to a hotel in London yesterday and he said, you know, it's like we're all opening at the same time, which sounds obvious, but I hadn't really thought about it like that. So they're all, it's as if all hotels in, in London plan their development schedule to open at the same time and are fighting over the same pool of talent. So you have to look at places you don't normally look, um, which is what we've been doing, I guess, for the last six years, but now everyone has to. And we're, launching a school in London, predominantly working with um, previously incarcerated, with refugees, with the demographic that we would love to always work with. But hotels in the past have kind of, I guess, been a bit snobby, especially on the luxury level as to who they let in. So I'm really intrigued by this because if you think about service and servitude, and then you, you're, you're recruiting now among others, previously mm -hmm. incarcerated people, where you think about rehabilitation, do you have mm -hmm. any success stories that you have that you could share about that? We haven't really worked yet with, I guess the, we haven't, the universe going <laughs> in a more spiritual way hasn't really aligned with us to be able till today to work in markets like London, uh, like New York, like LA, where we're getting to this demographic, Mexico, maybe some have been previously incarcerated, but it's minor, you know what I mean? It's, we haven't really got to work with refugees. So I would say the majority of our students would be struggling. Unfortunately, in some way, they would be unemployed, they would be underemployed, they would be single moms. Um, you know, they, may, they, they come from, a drug or alcohol background you know they are in need because that's the whole point of and especially one of the reasons of our success unfortunately is because they need this job and therefore they stay at the brand hotel and that's why our turnover is lower but the success stories to me have been seeing have been seeing the promotions um, and has also been seeing some people start their own businesses which we taught entrepreneurship just once in the british virgin islands but we didn't, um, 
we didn't continue because I think it's a separate offering. And I think people who want to be entrepreneurs are going to be entrepreneurs and people who want to work in hospitality are going, there's the idea of entrepreneurship, but I think it's a push. So, um, you know, I, but yeah, I think the success stories really come from people who have either stayed and are super content because it's beautiful, often the locations they work in, um, or it's high design. If it's in a city, if it doesn't have to be by the beach, but I think they either stay for that reason um, or, or it's, it's a success in another way. It's a success. Sometimes, you know, some of the women, especially in the British Virgin Islands, told us that their marriages had been healed through communication because so much of what we teach is life skills. It's not, you're interacting with people. Hospitality is people. So you can take what you learn at school and apply it at home and all of a sudden you're having, you're, you're just, you know, if you're anticipating the guest needs, you're going to anticipate your husband or your son or whatever. And so relationships domestically have been improved, which is not something that we necessarily saw coming, but makes total sense. That is totally unsurprising to me because one of the themes that I keep hearing about from all, all these leaders like you that I'm speaking with, when you really get down to it and this idea of service and it's this idea of really being an open-hearted listener. And the mm. only way that we can all open our hearts mm. and really hear what the other is saying is by practicing and repetition. Right, right. right. And we do, we do something fun. <laughs> uh, so we take some stuff from Masterclass. Um, and who is it? It's a CIA negotiator. I forget his name. Chris, Chris Voss, maybe. I think Chris Voss. And he... Uh, I was I was working on some content during the pandemic early on and we were revising all of our curriculum it seemed like a good time to do that and he was talking about the art of listening and how you can use that um to to to, to be able to negotiate and I was like this is this is relevant for for Syra and it was a really simple trick of just repeating the last words that people say so you know it's just picking up those last three words and then they keep talking and you just ask one open question like um you know tell me about whatever it was in this case I tried to practice it at home and Michelangelo was talking about his trousers or something and I was like oh this is so boring let me use this trick so I started like asking him I was like oh yeah linen oh yeah and it went on and ah oh, the size ah oh, okay great and oh you got it from J Crew. okay so it just kept going for like five minutes and at the end of it maybe even longer he could talk about these pants all day and <laughs> At the end of it, I was like, did it sound like I was interested? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, amazing. I wasn't at all. I was That's like, hilarious. I, I was hoping you were going to finish that. Was that he was huddled in a mass crying on the floor, like in touch with his inner child. <laughs> he does that every day. He talks to his bloody inner child every day. So- so that's just day-to-day living with my glandular. This was, this was fun. So anyway, um, I forget why I was telling you that story about well, it's, it's the idea of, it's the art of listening. And so yes. often we're yes, all going exactly. through life and, you know, you and I, we did a, a little meditation just before this started. And I find that just mm-hmm. taking that moment of pause, it helps me really focus on you as the subject, right? I'm, I just wanted to open mm-hmm. up and so that every I'm hearing everything from you. Um, <clears throat> I want to go back to the refugees because so many mm-hmm. of the refugees are coming from east of Greece, uh, yeah, east of Greece. And if you read like throughout all the literature that I've read and just that whole thousands of years of 
hospitality and just how important it was in so many of those cultures from Greece to yeah. Turkey through Persia all, all the way uh, all the way through Afghanistan um, Pakistan India and I'm just wondering like with everyone kind of trying to escape a terrible yeah. situation yeah this must yeah. be a tremendous opportunity and I think that from the stories I've heard hospitality is just so ingrained in their life and mm -hmm. I'm curious at what successes you're having there we are just getting started we so it's interesting because in London there's actually quite a lot of I guess competition in terms of in terms of other hospitality training programs that are working and trying to get into and trying to work with these organizations so I think there's one in particular that we are talking to called Breaking Barriers, and they have a referral system so that if you're if you're um, bringing on, I guess, one of their database people, individuals, um, to to the training program, and then they get hired, they get a fee. So we're trying to. It's it's a new it's a new partnership for us, especially in London. Um, so I couldn't, honestly, I couldn't speak to you yet in terms of what that looks like in terms of working with the refugees. We haven't done it yet, um, but it's something that I'm really excited about. And I think it's a key part of their, I guess, transformation into this new environment. Um, I think we're going to start working with psychologists and sociologists as well at Syra when we're, when we're entering this demographic, because it's new to me in all honesty. So I don't think we can assume it's going to be the same as working with local communities in Namibia or in, you know, Mexico. Um, I think when you're coming from that much trauma, I mean, that being said, I'm thinking about a student who in Namibia, when we went around the class, we, were, we always talk about something that happened the day before that was positive or negative. Um, just to, just to kind of, end that day and start a new one in a way but his story was about um being held at gunpoint on his way home with his brother but he didn't he didn't say it it was almost in a way of like me saying i saw an amazing sunset at the beach or you know it wasn't like in a way that he was asking for um sympathy at all it was just that's what happened that's what he's dealing with he was thinking about, you know, and my guess is it doesn't, it's not the one-off time it's happened. Um, but I guess, you know, when you're working with people who really need this opportunity, I mean, he is, this guy was one of the, had a great smile, great energy on time, like no phones. There's just, he was like the perfect student, but I don't know. I think, I think the reason also I'm, that's one, Namibia was one of the most impactful schools for us because we were working with a demographic like that who needed it. And I think the same will go for London and any other cities where we're able to tap into the demographics that we really want to work with because they get it. Like they, they get this opportunity. They're not, they're not kind of turning their nose up at it or, you know, wondering if they could do other things or, you know, they're, they're just like, this is, amazing and this hotel is amazing and Syrah is you know a gift that's been given to us and and they're just grateful and motivated and ready to to take what is given to them and rightfully so but yeah I think I think that's what's going to come from working with refugees and 
hopefully previously incarcerated, but who knows? I mean, a year from now, I can probably answer that one. Yeah, when I was in college, I painted a bunch of houses in Southern California, and I was always recruiting painters. And I had a couple of uh, previously incarcerated guys that were just the most terrifying looking human beings, tattoos everywhere. Um, But I needed to paint these houses. And um, then I really just sat there and the, the whole look is, I was terrified, but then I start talking. Some of them weren't yeah. right. Some of them flaked out, but there were a bunch of that were really, really awesome. So yeah. it's just a re- great way to kind of plug in. And, you know, a lot of these guys are just looking for their next shot, a second shot. And it's about rehabilitation and it's just missing so severely. Well, yeah. And that's why I love to, I want to work with Kos. Do you know Kos Marte who started? No. Um, oh, he's great. You should definitely talk to him. He started, why am I blanking on his company's name? Um, ah, I'll have to come back to you on what, what the name of his company is, but it's a workout. So he works with previously, he was incarcerated twice. He has a fantastic story. I won't even try and tell it as well as he does, but he created this workout in his cell um, and now has these studios all over New York and probably outside of New York now. And he's like in Saks Fifth Avenue. And it's, it's about ex-convicts or previously incarcerated um, learning how to be these trainers and working with them. He's only hiring them. And all these fancy women on the Upper East Side are going to these workouts and like loving it. Because it's, and it, I've been, I went to the one on the Lower East and Conbody, Conbody is his um, I think I've company. seen that. I've, I've seen that. So good, but no joke. There's no laughing. Oh, wow. You can't charm the you can't charm the instructors. They're like, they're very serious about what they're doing. But oh yeah, I, I definitely like want to hear more about that. He explains this to me. Like it's impossible to not go back. The system is so fucked up that it's you have to. I mean, I think I think what we're doing is going to be hopefully crucial to changing people's lives in the sense that they, they don't go back to prison. They don't go back to what they were doing. Um. I, I think, yeah, I think on hospitality now has to hire <laughs> and they have to hire anyone and everyone because you've got just this morning, I got an email from the head of revenue management at um, one of the brands we're talking to. And she's like, sorry, I couldn't take your call yesterday. I was uh, cleaning a room. <laughs> I was like, it's so insane. It's As so crazy. Should. I can't, I can't <laughs> tell you how many places I'm going where it's like the, the head of rooms or the general manager the head of rooms is checking people in or the general manager is making bets. And it's but just- it should be that way, to be honest with you, because how often have they done that before? And then when you're working front office and you're speaking to housekeeping, being like, turn that room around, if you've never done it, you, you, I think it's going to lead to a lot more compassion and equality. I think compassion, tech. equality, and kind of going back to what we were talking about before, as far as career path, yeah. That kind of cross yeah. training is as a team, you just understand yeah. what everyone's dealing with. And it develops, right. it's that you said, just being in the other person's shoes and developing that empathy cross training yeah. and is just the greatest thing ever because it, it makes us understand what the other person is dealing with. Totally. I've always, when I worked at hotels, I always would beg them to, to let me cross train, but it's, it, I mean, I get it. It's, it's, it's difficult. It take. it's not difficult. I get that it's not difficult it just takes more effort for mm-hmm. people to like move their schedules and that just goes back to the original mentality of the industry where everything that takes a little bit more effort like 
Maybe we don't recruit from other hotels. Maybe we don't do hiring fairs. Maybe we look at, at communities that really need the opportunity, but it's only happening now, but it's great that it's happening mm. now. Fantastic, actually. When, you, when we first started talking, you said it's really about a feeling. If you were to go back in your life to when you first mm. exhibited that or felt that feeling of hospitality, where was it? Paint a picture for us. Hmm. That's a good question. When did I first feel hospitality? I would say I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to home. I'm skipping past home. Um, no offense to, to, to my mom, but uh, it, didn't, it didn't really feel like hospitality. Um, I would say it was, it, was, uh, it was six senses. You know, I would, I would think that they really understood it was a luxury level and i'm sure it's happened to me prior to six cents on a non-luxury level but they just seemed to get it what i loved about their style of hospitality was that it was a very barefoot luxury concept that they i think they created um that's now probably coming more and more popular but their sense of hospitality was that yes it's luxurious of course it's luxurious you're on a private island with like the highest, you know, the, the best mezcal and everything else, you know, but it's not about, it's about being able to walk barefoot. It's about not wearing makeup. It's about um, just kind of switching off and, and, and feeling the nature. Cause of course they're all about nature and that idea felt to me like, Oh, this is what hospitality is about. It's a, the ability to, to yes, have all that luxury, have the great food, have the great bed and the mattress, et cetera. But it's, it's also about the idea of connection and the service there just, just continued to, to blow me away in terms of, in terms of how they approached the whole concept of service and, and what it is. And yes, it was easier because it was Thailand and it's natural in there in their kind of culture. I know you mentioned, you gave an example of the um, golf cart, but mm. if you were to go back to your six senses experience, was there a, a singular event or person that really kind of changed your trajectory, so to speak? And six senses? Yeah, I mean, there was, that I worked with? Yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people, it was a great, it was a great team. This was prior to it splitting. Um, and of course, prior to it being bought, but, um, you know, I worked very, we, we were on the residential team. So I was the, I became director of marketing for the residences and um, because my background was real estate. So actually, yeah, just diverting for a quick second, but there was an experience when I worked in real estate. I used to work for Andre Plaza's building downtown New York, William Beaver House mm -hmm. in 2008. And so that was my, I left, I worked in real estate in London, moved to real estate in New York. And he, or his building, working there was um, kind of the first experience I had in terms of lifestyle hospitality because he's a hotelier, of course, and developing this residential building. I was like, interesting. Like, it's not like a typical condo. It was, and something that he did that always stays with me. And, and I met the head of design for his properties recently and she was laughing because she said a lot of people found this fascinating. It's just that he had a hole in the shower. Have you seen this? 
just no. the glass hole. So it's cut out of the, so, so, you know, when you go in to put the shower, you turn it on, you get wet, right? It just is what it is. It's, it's kind of hard often to, to do that without wetting your hair or something. So he just cuts a hole out of it. So you just put your hand in and I was like, I don't know. So these are the simple things that, you know, when you say it, it doesn't sound, but I just think, oh, that's the thoughtfulness. The thoughtfulness of hospitality is always what blows me away, whether it's the hole, whether it's the golf cart, whether it's Kevin putting on the kettle, it's always the thoughtfulness. And I think it goes into a deeper level of, well, well what do we need as, as people, right? Forget about hospitality. You need to know that someone's thinking about you. And you need to know that you're being seen, right? That's all anyone ever wants. We tell the students all the time. All they want to know is that they're heard and that they're seen. So if they're shouting, just listen, just listen. <laughs> just pay attention. That is the very core of human need, forget guests. So when I see these examples and when I think about it, I'm just like, it's all they're doing is telling me that, oh, they've thought about my need here with the whole, they've thought about my need you know, with, with not killing anyone in the golf cart. I mean, it's just thoughtfulness and that always blows me away. It's, it's, you know, that idea and that need, the human need to feel important. Um, I recently reread um, Dale Carnegie's book. What was it called? How to, how to win friends and influence people. And Mm. then that was one of the, the big things was like, Hey, people, everyone just wants to feel important. So don't argue, just listen. And then yeah. you'll, you'll, you, it's like you get way more bees with honey than with vinegar, but everyone wants to feel important. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I'm listening to this book called a time to think. Mm. Have you, have you come across that one? And it's, it is, it's like, it's hard to listen, especially when you're passionate, especially when you're, when you've been working by yourself for like six years. So now I have a small team and it's quite hard to, to stop talking and to listen, but I think it's, you can be the most interesting person at a party, they say, if you say nothing and just ask questions and they're gonna walk away from that conversation being like, oh my God, that was a fantastic conversation, but well, you don't say anything. <laughs> as you're saying that, it made me think of that moment in, I think it was Namibia, where at the end of every day in the beginning of the day, you pause for a moment and everyone tells mm-hmm. a story. And as I'm speaking to a lot of these people like you, there's these, um, I'm calling them gathering points, if you will, where Mm. you're just there, everyone share something, just take a moment and just be mindful and be present because Mm. then we can all feel what the other is going through. Right, 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 exactly. And you don't have to offer solutions. You have to talk, (laughs) actually just listen. (laughs) Don't like jump in with, oh, I'm sorry, or just just don't. Like it's not, that's not the point. We, We say I'm sorry for ourselves sometimes you know I think we talk thinking that that's what the other person needs but it's very interesting I mean I'm learning a lot with marriage also in the last two years (laughs) well yeah you just keep repeating back the last two or three words that Michelangelo (laughs) says and you'll have a you'll have a lifetime of joy love and happiness (laughs) I just gotta remember to do that more often don't say anything Yeah, and, and, and now you can become a hostage negotiator for the CIA. <laughs> Students can, hopefully. I love to throw in weird things into the curriculum. It's like a weird power I have. <laughs> I love that. Well, I, I also think, like, speaking of weird powers, I think that one of my superpowers is I'm very good at hearing what's unsaid. Mm. So 
And I think that that, and I don't need to address it right now, but I just can file it back away and then deal with it at another time. Because oftentimes when I'm hearing what's unsaid in that moment, usually it's not something that needs to be addressed right then, because then it could turn into an argument or you're going to make someone feel less important. Um, but it's, it's all about timing as well. Wow. How do you do that? How do you hear what's not said? Um, body language? I think it's body language. It's language. It's like, okay, like in work, there's, there usually is an issue. There's just a lot of coordination for opening a hotel and Mm -hmm. someone's not saying something that it's like an elephant in a room, right? Mm -hmm. That usually in every kind of heated thing, there's an elephant in a room and oftentimes Mm -hmm. people are scared to go there. And sometimes it's not appropriate to go there right away, but never let it go away. Cause if you don't address the elephant, resentment can build. Yeah, interesting. I've got to look out for that elephant more. I don't see it much. And I feel like <laughs> I need to look for it. I just assume everything's good. Harsha, as you think about like where we are right now, where you are right now, like what's keeping you up at night? Jet lag. <laughs> Jet lag. Um, I, I, I guess, I guess I'm not in a literal term because I'm, thank God, able to sleep really easily. Um, what keeps me up at night? Okay, we're here. This is this is stressing me out a lot. We're in Todos Santos. We've moved here. And all around, so we were here in March. We didn't plan to move here. We came here for my planter's birthday for two months in March. And then kind of we're like, wow, it's really changing. And it's, I've been, every time I come, I had a project or I'm working. And so I haven't really seen it as the beautiful retreat that everyone loves. And I did this year. And so we come back here and we're like, okay, let's spend a few years here because yeah, we're happy here and why not? And so we see all that, but now I come back six months and I've seen all the, and this is like an immediate thing that stresses me out. If you want to go into politics and all that, sure. But um, just, just the fact that I've always focused so much on the social part of ESG and here, I'm concerned that everyone is getting caught up with this crazy real estate bubble and development and Todos Santos is the new Tulum and blah, and it's like, and yet you're driving by huge pieces of trash just, just being burnt constantly. Like trash is a huge issue. And so it's, it's not the trash that's keeping me up. It's the fact that people are overlooking it. And I'm shocked because I'm always, I'm not shocked anymore why hotels don't look for kind of innovative sources of fresh talent. That's just, I'm used to that. But this part, I'm like, wait, what is happening? So, so there's no plan, there's no recycling, there's no, there's, no, there's no master plan here because yes, the development's totally coming. And yes, this is going to be the new spot if it's not already. But that in an immediate sense right now, just being right here, that worries me. Um, the fact that real estate developers are just making huge amounts of money and I don't know who's really thinking I need to ask more questions I mean we just got here I can't I can't assume that there's no plan but from the very little research I've done and the questions I've asked we're right on the cusp we're at this critical point where Tulum was year 10 years ago wherever it was that it took off and Toto Santos is at that point so well I think what's different from 10 years ago to today is finally Mm -hmm. I think everyone was talking about sustainability, the E on the ESG part, 
And 10 years ago, maybe 13, yeah. 14 years ago, it really started in earnest from the, the upstart of lead. And, and it's really transformed how everything is happening. But right now, I feel mm. like a lot of the big money, so from all the banks and just the retail and um, on the retail side, but also on the, um, on the bigger side, the institutional side, they're all looking for measurable ESG returns. And I don't know really what's changed that, but it's actually exciting. Mm. So I'm yeah. hoping in the case of where you are and everywhere else, rather than where we were 10 years ago, there's going to be a change in how, what the impact is. And I think because totally. all the, all the big money guys want to have some kind of measure measurable that they can get back to their investors. Well, CSR is now a thing, right? There's now five years ago or six years ago, I called up one very large brand and asked to speak to their CSR department. They didn't know what I was talking about. And I was like, corporate social responsibility, nothing. I was like, this is not normal. <laughs> so now, yes, they have to have it. And a really like, so I was with my dad. I, I went to see him after two years just recently in India for 10 days. And he was telling me he's a, he's, he, he's a philanthropist his whole, um, I guess, what, what keeps him going these days, right? He believes in curing curable blindness in India and in Nigeria, clean water for everyone. Talking about needs, he's going for the basics right? He's like, he's not in the hospitality sense necessarily, but he's going for what are the basic needs that people have and they need to be able to see because he, he loves nature. He's like, he can't. And that, that, that keeps me up at night too. The fact that millions and millions of people all over the world are blind for no reason. You're talking about $60 for a cataract operation or $40 even, I might be misquoting, but that is obscene to me, obscene. But, um, Ah, going back to that. So he was telling me about the change um, that's happening right now. He's always like, how do we, he has this philosophy of caring capitalism. And he's like, how do we make this a thing? How do we, and I was like, you know, dad, you're 74. Just, just relax. <laughs> you've, you've done enough. Like, just, just take it easy. But he won't and he shouldn't. And I'm, I'm grateful that he doesn't. But he did tell me that recently, I think it was the head of Citibank who was in India and saw what was happening with the pandemic and um, just the, oh, the, the real tragedy that happened in Bombay when COVID hit badly there. Um, you know, talking about bodies being thrown into the river, like it was, it was obscene. So he saw it, which I think is necessary for anyone to, to do anything is to see it and to see firsthand the reality of it to actually make you change. Um, but yeah, he's, he told me the head of CSR, I think it's for Citibank, gave $5 million to the new COVID wing of my dad's um, kind of hospital that he was, he was working on in Bombay. And I think that would never happen before. I think the reality of what we're going through, whether it's the pandemic or whether it's the world overheating or whatever the challenges are, are causing huge change that's that's going to save it. I'm pretty optimistic. I'm not, you know, my conscious slightly worried that if we had a child, what kind of world are you bringing it into? You know, but I, I think we'll come through. I'm pretty optimistic I think there's about a generational that because, shift. of course. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a generational yeah. shift happening right now with this big move into here because it's not sustainable what's happening. And 
I think we just need to be aware. And I think awareness is being created. Then change can come. And we're in the middle of this big change. And I guess, you know, talking about a baby and the future, what's exciting you most about the future? <laughs> um, well, this, this, what we're exactly what we're talking about that I think for Syra, it's been like six years of talking about how we need to think differently about talent and, um, you know, where we should be sourcing talent from, et cetera. So that's all, I think, falling into place right now. Um, and we're expanding into permanent schools. So, so London, hopefully San Jose Cabo will be the first two. So London probably sooner in spring. Um, I think we've got about 50, as of today, we've got about 50% of the funding that we need. So we should be on track with that one. Wow. Yeah, which is great. Um, so I guess, I guess that's, that's very exciting. I've hired um, an amazing director of partnerships for the first time in six years, something I should have done years and years ago, <laughs> probably. But Greg, and, and he's based in the UK. And so he, that's, that's exciting um, that the team is growing, that we're being recognized, that hotels are thinking differently. I think all of that um, is exciting. And then for me, we just took an epic, I guess, six months or three months of travel and making up for all the lost time and just hopping around Europe mostly. But I'm quite excited to go deep into two countries and one being Mexico and one being Portugal mm. um, and just kind of focus my efforts in two places, ideally one place, but it might be two. Um, so yeah, I think just I'm quite excited to just stay put, weirdly, um, and and kind of be an adult and <laughs> and be married and not jump around and see what adult life's all about. Well, I love Mexico and Portugal is amazing. And I think I first met you, I think I met you before Monica and Peter's wedding in Portugal, but we should have yes. them renew their vows in Portugal yes. and then we can just all be there. A hundred percent. We caught up with them. Uh, we overlapped for a couple of nights um, in Portugal. And, and now everyone's talking about the Azores. We should go back. Well, they're starting in <laughs> May and a nonstop flight from uh, Newark to the Azores. It starts in May. Are Peter they? and Monica are very excited. Yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's, um, I think, so I think countries like that are just, I think it's honestly, it's the people that yeah. make me really excited about these places. And a company I'm working with, we're just starting to make furniture there to ship into the U.S. as well. And we're really excited about that. Um, and I'm excited to just go factory tour and drink the red wine. <laughs> totally. I think that's, yeah. I, want, I mean, there's so many places in Mexico just to start with that I want to go explore in terms of, and I want to learn, you know, I want to learn, my client and I have always dreamed about having our own hotels. I want to learn about architecture. I want to learn about what you do. I want to, you know, get deeper into things, not just Syrah, because Syrah has been my world for seven years, but I feel like, okay, we're good. You know, we're at a good place. Things are happening. And actually it's not so much the sell or the education isn't so much needed by me anymore. Mm. So I think we're in a place where things will move at a, at a nice, hopefully a good pace, not, not too fast, but I want to get a bit more out of, uh, you know, out of just focusing on, on uh, Syrah and also educating myself starting at the beginning again because for six years it's like let me tell you what we do it and what we do and blah, blah, blah. I don't want to do that anymore I kind of want to go back to what is architecture what is design what are all these things that, that encompass a hotel 
Well, a little <laughs> secret about me is one of my dreams is to have a hotel as well and to be the innkeeper. I really want to do that. So you guys, as your, uh, as your ideas are percolating, you got to keep, keep me in the loop. I love to hear that. I will. I will for sure. I think this is an interesting place to look at in Todos Santos, of course, like everyone else is. But um, yeah, it's just, it's just time. I'm approaching 40. So it's time to grow up a little bit. <laughs> so, and you are growing up, but if you go back to yourself at, at six senses, mm -hmm. where you first really had this hospitality awakening and you, mm -hmm. as your almost 40 year old self could go back to yourself then and give yourself some advice, what would you say? Hmm. Wow. Look at you getting deep at the last minute. What would I say? Um, I would probably say, don't waste so much time on ex-boyfriends. <laughs> I'd probably say you should have ended those relationships much sooner. No offense, Ben. Um, I would, I would, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's cliche these days, but if I could have done, I did ayahuasca, sure, like many people, um, a couple of years ago. And one of the lessons that I learned, there were many, I think, but I think I would encourage, I would encourage things like that. You know, I would encourage, um, I would, I would just be more probably open-minded to really taking a look at yourself and understanding the flaws and understanding your family. And I would probably start, I would have liked to start that journey a bit earlier. Um, you know, for, you know, when I think we spoke or, or emailed and, you know, one of, one of the inspirations has always been my dad, of course, and watching him work with Mother Teresa. And, but what that did is really kind of instill in me this, why, why I do what I do today is a lot to do with what my dad and my parents exposed us to as kids. But I guess I, I always thought that's, that's what you need to do, you know? And, and I kind of felt like, you know, you can't, I, and I, and I like that. And I also, it adds a tremendous amount of pressure to my life because I'm always thinking of what other people don't have and they're struggling with and their challenges and what do we have to do? And I guess I get that from my dad at 74, like, Oh, we can't stop. Can't stop. We've got to do this. Got to. And it adds this kind of crazy pressure. And what ayahuasca did for me was just in a way, awaken me to the sense that of, of who you are and you can actually do what you think is nothing. And you can just have a day, a normal day where you're not trying to save the world and you're not trying to, trying to change an industry and you can just take a walk and, and bring your energy and your light and your, you, yourself as an essence to other people without even saying something. And that's what I think so many of us, you know, funnily enough, talking on a podcast, but so many of us think that we have to be the smartest person in the room and we have to say the most interesting story or be the funniest or there's all this pressure. And I think at the end of the day, if you, I think some of the most incredible people that I've come in touch with 
recently someone like Klaus who started design hotels he has an energy these people have an energy about them where they don't need to say anything and it's not about that he started design hotels it's not about what he's done but I think there's a certain light that you can feel when someone enters a room and I think we all have it in ourselves but I'll probably tell myself to take the pressure off a little bit <laughs> long story short I agree with you. We all do have this light. And oftentimes, I think you said flaws a couple of times through that. And I think, you know, mm. I've not done ayahuasca yet, mm. but um, I think understanding our whole self and embracing our whole self, the good, the bad, and being okay yeah. with our whole self is really important. The work that you're doing with Syra, you're oftentimes you're giving so many people, whether you're just coming up as, as an entry-level position in hospitality, or you're the CEO of a huge bank, so many people don't take the time to work on that empathy and interpersonal skills and being cool with mm. who they are. Mm -hmm. So I really yeah. appreciate everything that you're doing. Um, and I wish you incredible success there. And we have to get together with everyone and, and have yeah. a good time down there. I'm excited. I'm excited. Come here or go, we'll go to Portugal. Yeah. One of the two. Um, so Harsha, how can people mm -hmm. connect with you? WhatsApp me. <laughs> yeah, that's what they do down here. Um, yeah. I mean, we have the website, sairahospitality.com, S-A-I-R-A. It's quite tricky. Um, hospitality.com. We're on Instagram. You can email me, call me. I'll be here. Great. And I also have your LinkedIn. So I'll, I'll we'll put all that in the show notes as well. Yeah, I wouldn't focus on LinkedIn. I'm not on it too much, but yeah. Go to the website. Go to the go website, to email me. You can email me straight from the website. Wonderful. Um, Harsha, yeah. I just want to say thank you so much for your time. And I, I love this conversation. Good. I'm glad. I loved it too. <laughs> we'll speak uh, soon. Yeah, and I'd also like to thank our listeners. And mm -hmm. I'm hoping this talk with Harsha really evolves your idea on how to make others feel comfortable and how to actually recruit and train and just give people an opportunity to an amazing career path in our industry. So if you walked away and your thinking was changed a little bit, please share our podcast to someone else and thank you everyone. And we'll see you next time.